0: Let's, let's start. We're in Lesson 9 today. We're going to continue on in Paul's really discussion with them about the whole issue of legalism and uh, their being in bondage. And so we're in Galatians chapter 4. We're going to look at verses 21 through 31 today. And it's really an appeal for understanding. We saw his plea last week for them not to ensnare themselves again in in bondage. But... He wants to help them to understand why, and so that's what our discussion is going to be about today. So let's, first of all, he's going to present some facts to them. So let's look with me at verse 21 and 23, through 23. Tell me, you who desire to be under the law, do you not hear the law? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by a bondwoman, and the other by a free woman. But he who was of the bond woman was born according to the flesh, but he of the free woman through the promise. Okay, so let's look at a couple things here. First of all, he's going to present a question to them. Paul addresses those who want to submit to the bondage of the law. Paul wants to address those who want to submit to the bondage of the law. So he's addressing again, he's talking to those again who want to place themselves in the legalism thing. Okay, remember what I've talked about. The legalism thing is you doing something for acceptance with God. Okay? You doing something for acceptance with God. When you hear the legalism, word legalism today, it's often used in two ways. One, it's used with reference to doing something ritual, which is for acceptance with God. But I often hear it now with those who want to... Continue in their sinful lifestyle, and when you come up to them and say, "You need to change this. You can't do that," they're going to say, "Well, you're just being legalistic. That's just legalism." Now, that's not legalism. If it's in the Word of God, it's not legalism. Okay. So, like, okay, I, I gave you a couple of examples that are very concrete. Don't be drunk. Then say, "Don't drink," but don't be drunk. It, you know, or abstain from sexual immorality. Period. That means all forms of sexual immorality. You're, you're to abstain from it. So those are pretty concrete. I mean, in fact, one of them, the sexual immorality thing, it just flat out says, this is the will of God. You can't get any... I mean, that's not legalism. That's just what God says, I want you to do that. I mean, in fact, think about this for a moment. How many of you have kids? I mean, they may be grown up. How many of you have kids? How many of you would have tolerated... You saying to them, hey, take the, take the garbage out of the road. Aren't you supposed to be in charge of taking the garbage out of the road in this house? Oh, Dad, that's just legalism. How many of you would have tolerated that? All of you would have tolerated that? No, you wouldn't have, you wouldn't have put up with it, would you? Would you? Because it's not legalism. that There are some things that are required of you. So I just want to delineate what legalism is and isn't. So legalism is what it is, is is you doing something for acceptance with God, all right? Gaining God's acceptance because you're doing these things, and so He's going to address those who want to submit to that kind of legalism, who want to be in the bondage of doing stuff for favor with God. So here's what He's going to do. He, Paul asks them if they're if they are aware of what the law really states. This is a crucial question, because the chances are they don't. The reality is, they really don't understand. He's asking them, guys, do you really understand what the law says? Do you really understand what it's saying? Because the chances are, you don't. So, for instance, when you take someone, let's say they go to a nice little independent church, and and, and they carry the right Bible and they dress the right way and they got their hair the right way and they don't go to certain places and, and then they do all this right stuff. And, and as far as they're concerned, their acceptance with God is based upon whether or not they do that. And if they don't do that, then, then they feel really bad about themselves. God's going God's to gonna get them or zap them or, or whatever. You know, The chances are, if you were to talk to them about what the Word of God really says... They don't know what it says. They don't know what it says. How many of you found that to be true? Yeah, some of you have, yeah. Can I tell you why? Oh, first of all, let me ask you, before I tell you why, you tell me why. Think about it for a moment. Why is it that they don't know what the Word of God says? Okay, they're not reading it. Okay, that's good, Rob. What were you saying, Mary? You were saying something. Not reading it. Okay. Why else? How about they're accepting what others are saying? Now, what others are they accepting? Well, not just any person's opinion. The pastor's opinion or the leader's opinion. So the leader gets up there and says, okay... We need to stand on the King James, and you're like, okay, stand on the King James. I'll get a King James. Ladies, you need to quit dressing like men. All right, so you don't wear pants anymore. You you wear nothing but dresses. Guys, quit looking like a woman. So you get your hair cut. Quit looking like a hippie. So you get a beard shaved off. You know. And, 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 you, and you, you hear that, and you need to, when you come, you need to dress up for the king. So you start dressing up to come to church. So, okay, as long as you're doing all of that, if you're going to that kind of church, do you think you're okay. I'm standing on the King James. I've, I'm not dressing like a woman. Or I'm not dressing like a man, ladies. You know, I'm, I'm not looking like a woman. And I don't look like a hippie because i got a beard. You know? Some of you, 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 have you been in that kind of a situation before? Let me ask you something. I want you to think back because I know because I've been there. Was there any emphasis on reading the Word of God for yourself? Some yes. Okay, Bruce is saying yes. Anybody else? Was there any emphasis? Think about it for a moment. Marilyn's saying no. Tom would say no. Okay, here's, here's what I want you to understand. So if you're talking about somebody where the, the... Okay, the Word of God is placed up, but it's... The Word of God is placed up there in terms of what version to have. Listen to what I'm saying. But here's the thing. So you've got that version. Most people can't read it. If you are 40 and under, you've got a problem reading it. Just being honest with you, it's because of the educational system in our country these days. You've got a problem reading it, so you're not going to read it. But as long as you know you're standing on it, it's wonderful. You cannot believe how many young people I have talked to over the years in my ministry, in, youth, in the youth area, who come from a legalistic church, who can argue with me why it's only a King James but they have never read it themselves. You understand what I'm saying? Here's what I'm saying. It's easier to listen to somebody tell you what to do than for you to read it yourself. Isn't it easier? If I don't start grabbing a hold of the reality of it, I'm not, you understand? It's easier for us to just follow what somebody else is saying. Is it not true? But see, this is what he's saying to them. He said, guys, you want to be in bondage, but you don't, even have any under, you don't even have a clue what the law says. You don't have any clue about what the law says. You're just thinking ritual, because remember, he just talked to them earlier. Remember, we looked at this last week. He said to them last week, don't you remember when you were worshiping in a pagan temple, you had to do the same things to try to appease your God? You're still in the appeasement mode of trying to appease God here. And you don't have any comprehension about what the law says. So that's the point he's trying to make here. So let's move on. So then he's going to refer to Abraham's sons. Paul pointed out that it states that Abraham had two sons. The law very clearly points out that Abraham had two sons. Now, one son was born of a servant... And the other was born of a free woman. Now, of course, if you remember reading through Genesis, you know that he had one son, Ishmael, who was born of Hagar, who was a servant, a slave, Egyptian slave. And then the other, Isaac, was born of Sarah, who was a free woman. So he's pointing this out here. Now, he's going to talk about the nature of their births. And you need to grasp what's going on here. Because he's going to say, guys, you need to think about what ha- what's happened here and then and see what's going on. One who was born of a slave was born according to the natural course of life. The one who was born of a slave was born according to the natural course of life. And so do you remember this now? Remember, they, they got the promise. They were, they were promised, I, Abraham, you're going to have a son, and it's going to be through Sarah. But after a while, they kind of like, she's getting old, there's no kids. So she... She compels, you've got to watch out what women tell you to do, okay? You're laughing. Listen to the story and you'll understand what I'm talking about. Let's, let's say Brad's, Brad's Abraham here. I'm Sarah, okay? Brad, I can't have any kids, Brad. Take Hagar. She'll have kids for me through her. Okay, so he takes her. Then, she gets pregnant and has a kid. Now listen to what Sarah says. Brad, why did she do that? Do you see what I'm saying? I mean, Read the story. I'm not telling you anything that's not in the Bible. Yeah, but he was desperate for the son too. You understand back then, to have a son was important. It carried on your lineage. Alright, so, so... But so then, of course, he takes Hagar and the natural course of life, who's born... Ishmael, who has been a thorn in Israel's side ever since. Now, let's move on. The one born of a free woman was born according to God's promise. Now remember, Isaac comes along, and, and Sarah by this time is in her 90s. I mean, other than maybe in a tabloid, how many of you know a 90-year-old woman having a baby? You know what I'm saying? I mean, there are some weird tabloids that you see at the Superman account, you know, the Unimart or something that say something like, 100-year-old woman has twins. You know, this doesn't happen. She has a baby. And what, they're, what, is, what are they trying to say? It was according to God's promise. It wasn't according to the natural course of life. It was because God intervened. It was because God intervened. Now, Let's move on now. He's going to give the explanation. He's going to try to explain it to them. So look with me at verses 24 through 27. Which things are symbolic? For these are the two covenants. The one from Mount Sinai, which gives birth, to bondage, which is Hagar. For Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia, and it corresponds to Jerusalem which is now, and is in bondage with her children. But Jerusalem above is free, for, which is the mother of all of us. For it is written, Rejoice, O barren. You who do not bear, break forth and shout. You who are not in labor, for the desolate are, has many more children than she who has a husband. Okay, so here's what, here's what he's saying. He's going, to give an, he's going to talk about the symbolism. Paul points out that the two sons are symbolic, representing two covenants. He's going to make an argument here, and he's going to say, look, these two sons, Ishmael and Isaac, are symbolic, and that they represent two covenants here. So, here's what he's saying. The son from Mount Sinai gives birth to spiritual bondage. Okay, let me just stop for a moment. Who knows? Why is Mount Sinai significant? What happened on Mount Sinai? The law was given to who? Moses, who is known as the lawgiver. Okay? The lawgiver, the, the, the great prophet. Alright? So, out of that law came bondage. Because really, out of that law, up until that point, from that point on, up until Jesus... Israel had to do what? Do certain things, live a certain way, do certain stuff in order to be accepted with God. So, for instance, a big thing with them was clean, being clean. Now, you know, not like you and I with hygiene, but with reference to spiritually clean before God. So, okay, let's say Bruce falls down here, hits his head on the side of a of one of these pews and starts to bleed, I come over, if I get blood on me, according to the law, I'm then ceremonially unclean because I got his blood on me. So then, not only is he unclean, I'm unclean. And because I'm unclean now, I've got to go do a certain sacrifice or or wash a certain number of times so that I could be purified before God. That's what the law did. Now you're saying, are you kidding me? No, I'm not. You need to read through the law. It's that specific. It's that specific. So, for instance, it would say to a man, don't touch your wife during that time of the month. You're going to be unclean. All of it had to do with reference to cleanliness and exposing our unacceptableness with God and what you had to do to be accepted by God. So, when Paul says... Look, the son from Mount Sinai gives birth to spiritual bondage. It was. Because I want you to remember, think back to Acts with me. When, when Peter goes to Cornelius, Cornelius experiences salvation and the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. When Paul, Peter goes back to Jerusalem, all of the other Jews there are like, what are you doing going among the Gentiles? Peter said something very interesting. He said, why are we imposing on them what we ourselves could not keep? Why are we imposing on them what we ourselves could not keep? So isn't it interesting? There was no way to keep the whole law. This is the point Paul wants them to understand. So out of, out of the sun from Mount Sinai came bondage. Now here's what he's going to say now. It also represents Jerusalem, which is in bondage to the law. Look at what he's saying here. He's making a couple points here. He's going back. He says, first of all, Mount Sinai gave birth to spiritual bondage. That's talking about when Moses received the law, it gave forth the spiritual bondage. And then he wants to just immediately go to the fact that in Jerusalem, Jerusalem still represents that spiritual bondage. Now here's the point. Remember what's going on here. He's dealing with Judaizers who are saying that You need to observe the law, and it's because the folks back in Jerusalem, the apostles, are the ones who are are the ones who dictate what's going on. And we're from Jerusalem, and so you guys need to observe the new moons, and you need to observe circumcision, and you need to observe the food. And so Paul's making the point here is that, look, there's two covenants represented here. The one covenant is the covenant of bondage, and Jerusalem... Represents that bondage to law, but then he moves on in verse 26, and he goes on and he talks about the fact that there is a Jerusalem from above, a Jerusalem from above, and so let's notice a couple of points there. The Jerusalem that come that is to come, is a place of freedom from the law. The Jerusalem that is to come, is a place of freedom from the law. So he's reflecting on the fact that there is going to be a new Jerusalem coming. There is a hope of, of a better day that's ahead of us, and that Jerusalem, which is to come, is going to place where there's going to be freedom from the law. And so then he goes on and he points out that Sarah then is the mother of all who truly believe. Sarah is the mother of all who truly believe. Believe. Look again at verse 26 and notice what he says there. But the Jerusalem above is free, which is the mother of all of us. So it's talking about Sarah, and he points out that she is our spiritual mother. She's representative of the new Jerusalem that's going to be coming, that's free from the bondage of the law. And what is it talking about there? Is That she, she's our physical mother? No. She's actually our spiritual mother in representation of the new covenant that we have in Jesus. So he goes on in verse 27, and look at verse 27. For it is written, Rejoice, O barren, you who do not bear. Break forth and shout, you who are not in labor. For the desolate has many more children than she who has a husband. Here's what he's doing. Paul quotes Isaiah 54, one. Paul quotes Isaiah 54.1. What's he doing here? He points out that Sarah, who was barren, would be a greater blessing than Hagar. He points out that Sarah, who was barren, would be a greater blessing than Hagar. That was true back then because Sarah was the chosen wife. She had a child even in her old age. That would be a great blessing to Abraham. But it's more than that because through Sarah would come who? Who? Jesus Christ. And so we see that the greater blessing came through Sarah, not through Hagar. And that's the point he wants us to see here, is that the greater blessing for you and I, the greater blessing for everyone, is the covenant which comes through Christ, through Sarah, not the bondage of the law. So then he's going to make an application here. So let's look at verses 28 through 30, and we're going to focus the rest of our time on this. Look now what he says. Now we, brethren, as Isaac was, are children of the promise. But as he who was born according to the flesh, then persecuted him who was born according to the spirit, even so it is now. Nevertheless, what does the scripture say? Cast out the bondwoman and her son, for the son of the bondwoman shall not be heir with the son of the free woman. So then, brethren, we are not children of the bondwoman, but of the free. So let's talk about a couple of things. First of all, our standing. Here's what he's going to point out. First of all, Paul stresses that we, like Isaac, are children of the promise. We are children of the promise. So here, here's what he's saying. You know, the Jews, when they come and they're saying, you've got to become like a Jew to become a children of the promise. Now, Paul's going to reverse that and say, look, my friends, they got it all backwards. Faith is what makes you a child of the promise. And so you and I, he's saying, if you have put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, our children are children of the promise. It's not based upon what you've done for your acceptance with God, whether or not you're keeping the law. But rather, you are a child of the promise because of what Jesus has done for you and the new covenant. So he's going to make that point that our standing is not based on ourselves, but because of Christ. So we are, like Isaac, our children of the promise. But he goes on in verse 29, and he's going to point out a reality that's even true to this day, and that's the reality of persecution. Look again at verse 29. Here's what he says. But as he who was born according to the flesh then persecuted him who was born according to the Spirit, even so, it is now. Here's what he's saying. The children of the promise would be persecuted by the children of the flesh. Listen, you and I have got to grasp a reality here. And the fact of the matter is, is, your Christianity, your Jesus, your belief in faith alone for salvation is never going to be accepted by this world. Period. It's never going to be accepted. They're not going to accept it. In fact, they're going to react towards it. And, and it's happening today. We're viewed as the ones who are being intolerant because we believe there's only one way. And so people get angry at us for, for not wanting to assume that everybody else is right in their own sense. But the reality is, is that the only rightness is Jesus. And because you embrace that, you're going to have people who want to do things to appease God. They're going to be angry with you, and it's going to result in persecution. And persecution is happening right now Around the world, people are giving their lives for the faith, and it's going to happen here in our own country. And here's what he says. Paul stresses that the fact of persecution is true now. Paul stresses that the fact of persecution is true now. Notice what he said. Look at the last part of verse 20 now. Even so, it is now. The persecution is taking place right now. It's happening right here among us. Then look at the reality, verse 30. Nevertheless... What does the scripture say? Cast out the bondwoman and her son, for the son of the bondwoman shall not be heir with the son of the free woman. So here's the reality he's talking about. First of all, Paul stresses that those of the flesh will not share in the promise. People who don't share who don't grasp the reality of faith alone for Christ, who, who think it has something to do with what they're doing, whether or not they attend church, whether they perform religious rituals, whether or not they give, and whether or not they have to do certain stuff to appease God. Those folks, the reality, Paul says, is that they're not going to partake in the promise. Why? Because their focus isn't on Jesus alone. Their focus is on what they must do to appease God. And the fact of the matter is, we can't do anything to appease God. So the reality is, is that they're not going to share in the promise. So, let me explain something to you. Not sharing in the promise means something that's pretty serious. Not sharing in the promise means hell. The reality of hell. And, and so we need to grasp that we need to grasp an understanding and, and the point is, is that bondage to the law does not bring the inheritance of the promise if you are here and you're enslaved to a manner of thinking in which you think that in order for you to be accepted by God to be one of his children it all has to do with whether or not you do the right things I mean, and you may even say, oh, well, you know, I'm saved by faith, but I also need to do all this other stuff. Here's what he's saying. None of that, none of that will bring you the promise. You will not inherit the promise. It won't bring you the inheritance of the promise. So he's going to restate where we are again as, as, as believers in Christ who have put our faith in Jesus alone. He's going to restate it here in verse 31. Look at what he says. So then, brethren, we are not children... Of the bond woman, but of the free. Here's what he's saying. Paul reiterates that we're children of the promise, not children of bondage. He's making that point to them. Look, guys, we, if you have put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, you are not, listen to me, you are not in bondage. You are not a child of the bondage. You are a child of Christ. And it's all because of what he's done, not what you've done. So don't put yourself in that place anymore. Because to put yourself in that place of bondage is to nullify the cross, is to nullify Jesus. In fact, that's what we're going to look at next week when we get into Lesson 10. We're going to look at that whole issue. Of Paul stresses that there is an aspect. When you rely upon what you're doing for your acceptance with God, you're fallen from grace. And so that's what we're going to look at next week. So let's close our time in prayer and uh, get ready for the morning worship service.